Good on you. Um, turn with me to Luke chapter 12 this morning. Luke chapter 12. <laughs> Today's one of those mornings where because I've been away for a couple of weeks and we've had a lot of experiences and holidays and <laughs> all kinds of stuff, I have something on my heart that I want to share, but I've got a billion branches off the tree running all around in my head. So I'm hoping and praying that as I open my mouth and speak that I can trim some of those branches back and that we can get the point across what God wants to, to say to us, to speak to us this morning. Luke chapter 12. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Yeah, I'm going to have to do it again. I just cannot get a Bible with bigger pages, letters. Luke chapter 12. If we begin the story in verse 13, and we're going to sort of travel all the way through, it's the parable of the rich fool. It's about a, a man that comes to Jesus one day and says to Jesus, hey, would you sort out a financial dispute between me and my brother here? And Jesus goes on and has a few thoughts to say about that and this man's attitude. Then he turns to his disciples and he has a bit of a discussion with them and contrasts these two different uh, sets of values, I guess we would call them, in today's world. Before we do, I'll just pray. <laughs> Father, I just pray right now, Lord, just give me the words to speak. Uh, Holy Ghost, use me to communicate what's on your heart today. Uh, Lord, for us, God, I pray that each person here, you would take what I say, you would translate it into a language that each person here today understands, God, that each of us would walk away, uh, God, challenged, growing in our relationship with you, more focused on that which you've put us here to do on planet Earth, in Jesus' name. Amen. I've had an interesting few weeks as I, as I shared with you. One of the things about preaching, one of the things that, that, that those of you that, that have a bit of a preaching thing on your life, you'll know this. Everything we see in life, our brain takes it and calculates it into some kind of sermon illustration in some way, shape or form. I, I used the word a second ago, I twist it into a, to which I was corrected by some people. No, you adapt it. Well, I adapt some, some I twist. But as long as they get the point across, and I'm not telling lies... But we look at things in the world and we take situations and we go, gee, there's an application to that. There's a, and that's what Jesus did. He took natural things. He spoke about wheat and tares. He spoke about sheep and goats. He spoke about lamps on lampstands. He spoke about feasts. He spoke about all these things that people understood and we call them parables. Well, parables haven't stopped. We still use parables today. And uh, so I like to look at things that happen in the world around me and use them as, as, as types of parables to communicate points. And... As a preacher, it's wonderful when something happens and God gives you an example to use. What's not so great is when God makes you the example. That's not so great. And I've had a couple of things happen in the last probably 24 hours where I woke up this morning wrestling with this point I want to bring across today, going, well, God, I, I really like to have something like a tangible picture, a word picture to paint for people. And all of a sudden I woke up and I thought, oh, you're not going to give me an example. You've actually made me the example in this situation. So I want to share with you a couple of things that have happened to me in the last 24 hours. We went to the Gold Coast yesterday and I got a phone call from a friend and this friend had had a bit of an accident with their motor car. Something had gone wrong, the axle in their car had busted uh, and they were in a, a, a little bit of a predicament, didn't quite know what to do. Uh, so they rang me up and we're, we're back and forth on the phone trying to help them getting someone to come over to where they are and give them a hand and 
then ringing this person, then ringing that person, then hearing back from this person. And so I got, I'm trying to, excuse me, up at this 21st, but I'm trying to help this person sort out this situation that's going on in their world. Anyways, the day went on, I, I, we, we sort of sorted a few things out and then uh, moved on from there. And we went to this 21st, and at the end of the 21st, we were ready to come on home, and I was going to catch up with that person when we got home and just see how they were travelling, because they were quite distraught and stressed about the situation that had happened. So I'm driving home, and I, I walk down to the car, and it's 30-something degrees up there at this party, and it's really hot. So I stand in my car, and I, I do what, what, what I, I was going to say most of us do, but you probably don't do this, because it's really dumb. Uh, but I did it, because you do the connections. And so what happened was... I put my telephone on top of my car roof and then I took off my shirt and uh, put it in the, laid it in the car and then I, I, I pulled my keys out of the door, jumped in the car, closed the car door, turned on the car, proceeded to drive the 110, 15 k's back home. About 60 kilometres down the road, we're driving along and all of a sudden I heard this funny noise. It was, a, it was almost like a midget was rolling on the roof of my car like this, rolled down the window, rolled down the back and was no more. And we heard this noise and I'm thinking, you know, maybe we'll run over a bridge and someone's thrown something. There's no bridges, there's nothing. We're going 110 k's down a highway. And I thought, oh, well, whatever it was, I'm checking the temperature gauge. There's nothing wrong with the car. It's all good. We'll just keep on going. We get home, have a look around the car. It's all good, no worries. Going to the house, put the keys down, then decide um, I better jump on my phone because uh, check any messages or whatever. And so I go to Jackie and say, Jackie, uh, can you get my phone out of your bag, please? And she goes, it's not in my bag. I gave it to you. And, and I said to her, oh, okay, no worries. Inwardly, I'm going, liar, you've got my phone. But I didn't say that to her because she's my wife and I respect and love her. But in my head, I'm going, no, no, you've got my phone. What have you done with my phone? Where's my phone? I'm not always holy. I am holy. That's my problem. I'm holy and it drips out the holes. But um, so what happened was uh, she hasn't got my phone and then I go back to the car and I unlock the door and I look in the car and I can't find the phone. And I come back out and I go back into the bedroom and I can't find the phone. I'm going through a bag. I can't find the phone. I'm going and I'm back to her. What did you do with my phone? I didn't get it off you. What did you do with my phone? She goes, I'll go and check in the car. So well, you can look in the car, but I've looked in the car, you know. I may have had a man look. But I looked in the car and I did not see the phone. So she's gone back out, unlocked the door. And then she's had an epiphany, a moment. And she's locked the door, walked back in, and she said, Alan, do you remember that noise we heard, that little midget rolling down the roof of the car? I said, yes, I do. She said, I think that was your phone. And all of a sudden, I've got this flashback of me putting a phone cover on top of the car and then saying to myself as I did it, by the way, don't forget to grab that phone, Alan, don't leave it on the roof of the car. And in the space it took to take a T-shirt off, completely forgot about what I told myself not to forget, and I jumped in the car and took off, and lo and behold, uh, if anybody's going a drive up the Gold Coast today or coming back, somewhere between Rabina and Surface Paradise on the highway, if you see an orange phone cover, can you please stop and grab it? It's mine. I know it's mine because it also has my licence in it. It also has several of my, my bank cards and stuff in it as well. Um, thankfully, I, I started to then think, okay, what have I got to do to fix this? So I got on the phone, I'm ringing up, and I'm... I've got to cancel this card, cancel that card, cancel the phone, cancel this, cancel that, do all the things that have to be done. And then I'm, I'm then thinking about this friend of mine and the situation they've been through and you know, what's going to happen now and they need you know, the finances they might need to come up with to fix this situation and the logistics of getting the car. It's been towed from here to there, now we've got to tow it from here to there. And all this stuff that's going on, thinking about all these things. And then I thought, I'm going to preach today about a guy that 
came to Jesus and said, Lord, can you settle this dispute between me and my brother? Now, the situation here is that this man's coming to Jesus in Luke 12, and he's simply asking Jesus to do something that's actually valid and lawful. There's nothing wrong with it. According to the, Deuteronom- the Deuteronomical, whatever you want to call it, law, according to the law in the book of Deuteronomy, inheritances were divided a certain way. Two-thirds went to the elder son and a third, uh, one-third to the youngest son. And so this guy's come and he said to Jesus, can you settle this to speak? Can you tell my brother to give me my inheritance? And then Jesus turns around and he says, look, that's not what I came here for. I'm not a judge or an arbiter between you. I didn't come here to settle financial disputes between this person and that person. And then he goes on and he shares this story. In verse 15, he says, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink and be merry. Sounds like the perfect ending to a life, doesn't it? Sounds like the great Western goal of our human existence. Let's accumulate as much stuff as we can. And when we have more than we need, let's store it away so that we can have so much so that one day we can eat, drink and be merry till we depart this world and we never have to worry about anything else again. Jesus uses this as an illustration of what not to do. I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up, many years, take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. And God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. When Then whose will these things be which you have provided? In verse 21. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I don't think Jesus is saying here the problem is having things. I don't think he's saying there's a problem working hard and getting yourself a nice house or having a car or whatever it is that you want. He's not talking about that. He starts off by talking about beware of covetousness. Some translations would say beware of being greedy. If you look up that word in the Greek, it literally means a desire for more. How many of you know we live in a world that has a constant, incessant desire for more and more and more and more? And the appetite is never satisfied. It's never fed. How many people do you know? How many stories have you read? Have you heard about? If I can just get that car, that's my dream car. If I can just have that car, then I'll be satisfied. And they buy that car and two weeks later, some company brings out a better one. And within six months, it's almost like, I I don't want this car, I've got to have that one. So I'm going to banks and I'm taking up my emotional energy and my time working out, how can I get that one? How can I sell this one? What can I do with that one? We get into a house, then we want a bigger house, then we want a bigger house, then we want this extension, then we want more extensions. Then we want bigger this and bigger that and bigger this and bigger that. And this incessant desire for more, if we're not careful as Christians, you know it can creep quite easily into the life of the church. One of the very negative side effects of this health, wealth, gospel proclamation that that in some sections of Christianity is prevalent that tells you when you come to Jesus, you'll have everything you want. 
when you come to Jesus, you'll, you'll, you'll have all the money in the world, you'll just pour it out on your lap and you'll never get sick and you'll never have struggles, never have problems. When people buy into that, it's so easy to then, without even realising it, step into one of the things that was actually one of the very first laws that God laid down in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not be greedy. Thou shalt not have an incessant appetite for more and more and more and more and more. This guy says, I'm going to store up all my stuff so I can just relax and take it easy. What he's saying here is, I'm buying into the value system of the world. The value system of the world we live in is really, it's security, it's convenience, it's comfort. These are all the values of the world. And it's funny because when I read the life of the believers and when I read what Jesus promises us, I can't see anywhere there where Jesus promised us that all those values will be your values as a church. I promise you comfort. I promise you safety. I promise you... He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. I mean, it sounds good for me to say that to you because I reckon if I say it enough to you, you might, people might want to come. We might grow a big church if I you know, can throw enough of the really good stuff out there. But the truth is... We are called to live by a different value system than the value system of the world. But if we're not careful how easy it is for the values of the world to creep into the heart of a believer. You see, covetousness or greed, it doesn't seem like a big problem. Now, if I was to stand here and say, uh, start to talk about you know, um, lust, for example, and we had that as an issue. We could put things in place. Well, I'm going to uh, you know, put things on the computer and I'm not going to watch TV at a certain time and I'll get rid of, you know, won't, you know. There are, there are things that we will put in place to guard ourselves against that issue. We can do that, you know. If we were to talk about gossip and slandering, we could go, right, yeah, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put these things in place in my life and I'm going to make sure that I don't enter into these conversations and I go to these places. I'm going to, you know, think would I say that if this person was here before I... We, we could put things in place, boundary securities to keep us away from that kind of a lifestyle. But because we don't see covetousness or that incessant desire to keep wanting, because it's so normal to the world in which we live, we don't, have any, we don't put things in place in our world to guard ourselves against that. And if we're not careful, it creeps into the heart of believers. Now, from this point on, Jesus then, after sharing this story with this man, the Bible then says he turns. So he's just spoken to the world, if you want to put it this way. He just said to the world, hey, don't go that way. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to store up, you're going to spend your whole life chasing this set of values, spend your whole life trying to accumulate material possessions and things, and one day you're going to die. You're going to store it all up in barns. How many of you have seen the ads on TV these days? You feel like you've been unfairly dismissed in somebody's will? The person's dead. Even in death, you can't be guaranteed that what you want to happen is going to happen. This is real. It's happening now. Somebody could die and fill their barns and go, well, it's okay. I'm going to fill my barn. I'm going to will it to this person. So that's a good thing. And you die and someone comes along and goes to, you know, Jimmy Jam's lawyers or whatever and says, look, I don't think that's fair. And they go, we agree with you. We won't take a fee unless we win. How many times do you see this? I've got a friend of mine, he's, he was raised by his, his nana just up the road here at Knockrow and, and she's getting very close to dying now. <laughs> and he's more of a son to her than any of her kids have ever been. And he's telling me that she's about to die. What he's most upset about, he said, oh, you know, she's going to go and I won't have nana there. And that. But he said, I know what's going to happen when she does. He said, everybody's going to come out and they're going to be fighting over the possessions and fighting over who should get this and who should get that. And she's got a will, but it doesn't matter. They're all going to contest it. They've already decided she's not even gone. 
And they've decided we're going to contest the will. Store up all this stuff for yourself in your life. And it can be taken from you like that. I had a mobile phone yesterday. It's gone. Just like that. Puff of smoke. This friend of mine was driving a nice car yesterday. Guess what? He's now parked up in a storage unit. Just like that. Things come and things go. Possessions come, possessions go. But here's the thing. Last night, last night I got home and I jumped on and I cancelled all the, all the um, bank cards and jazz that were attached to it. That's fine. But what I found after doing that was, you know what? It's a mobile phone. It's just a thing. How many people would spend their next week stressing, panicking? I don't have that thing anymore. Oh, no. All the emotional energy that goes into fixing that thing. All the time consumed in your brain with how can I make that thing come back to me? And then when you get that thing, now I'm consumed with, oh, now I've got to look after that thing. I've got to build a bigger barn to secure it. And we just get caught up in this incessant desire for things of this world. Yet Jesus makes it very clear, you're not going to take any of it with you. You are not going to take any of it with you. None of it. And after speaking to the crowd, the Bible then says he turns to his disciples. He turns to the church. In verse 22, he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body and what you put on. His life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barns, and God feeds them. Who's your source? Who's your source? Anyone watch House Husbands? That show House Husbands? Anyone seen that show on TV with all with the dudes and the no? I don't watch it, but I did see a scene the other night. And this guy who's high up in this corporate world gets the sack because he's not trendy enough or something at work and he wasn't cool enough, so they sacked him. And his wife is, is on maternity leave and she got caught up and embroiled in some situation at the hospital and, and got demoted from the hospital. And he's sitting at home and he can't bring himself to tell her that he's lost his job because you know they need their financial security and everything. And and she comes home and she goes, well, guess what? They've just framed me at the hospital for something and I've, I've been put off and I've got no income now, no work, but, but it's okay, honey, because you've just got that big promotion and it's, oh, we'll, we'll be looked after. And he goes, well, actually, <laughs> no, I didn't. She looks at him and goes, what? <laughs> Nervous laugh. He goes, well, actually, the promotion was actually a demotion. It was worse than a demotion. It was a no motion, like a motion of out. I'm gone. I have no job. And she flips she starts pointing fingers at him. She starts yelling at him, going from this beautiful, it's okay, honey, because you're providing, you've got the job. Oh, and then she wants to knife him. She just loses it, starts yelling and screaming at him. But I was watching it thinking, yeah, that's exactly how it is in the world system. It's exactly what it's like if you want to live according to the world system. Because that job is the source of income for that family. That job is the source. That's the beginning point of all your provision. Take that beginning point away. Where's it all going to come from? But as believers, my job is not my source. God is. God gives me the opportunity to work, put my hand to the plough, and to do something productive, and through that job, money comes in. But that job is not my source. God is my ultimate source of provision. This is what Jesus is saying. Don't worry about the things that people worry about. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Now, Jesus is, by the way, talking to a group of people who have literally given up everything to follow him. 
Think about that for a second. These disciples, when he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, guess what? They didn't have a home to go to to have a meal. They didn't have a wife back there. They didn't have a KFC on the corner and some loose change. They're literally following this guy from town and village, town and village, literally, every day, going, well, Jesus, if you don't come through with the meal tonight, we don't eat. If you don't come through, you can see my sandals are blown out. I'm following you every If you don't come through, I've literally got nothing to wear. This is what's going on with these people. Do not worry. And Jesus says, don't worry. What you're going to eat, what you're going to Don't worry about that. Because the world system chases all that stuff, gets so consumed with all that stuff, spends so much time thinking about all that stuff. He says, man, I've promised you I'll look after you. I will look after you. You don't have to stress about all these natural things that one day will no longer exist. It's a different value system. It's a different set of values that we live by. Now, you can make your choice which set of values you want to live by. I know which one is the more calm and peaceful set of values. I would rather trust God because God is everywhere in everything. I'm not going to trust in this over here because what happens if this gets pulled out? What happens if this changes? We have that big global financial crisis and everybody's panicking. The world is panicking about and we're losing this, losing that, losing this, everything. You know what? Here's the thing. You may lose stuff. There's no guarantee or promise from God that your lifestyle won't need to be adjusted. You see, Jesus says to his disciples here, this is what he says, do not worry about your life. If we're brutally honest with ourselves, here's the reality. In the West, most of us, we don't worry about our life. We worry about our standard of living. We don't have to worry about our life. We stress and strain about a standard of living. We go to the cupboard and go, there's nothing to eat. Really? What we're really saying is there's nothing in there that I feel like right now. That's a standard of living. That's not life. I'm sure that none of you ladies do this at all, but us men do it all the time. We go to the cupboard and we go, I've got nothing to wear. What I'm really saying is there's nothing in there that I want to wear now. Cupboard's full of clothes. I've got heaps of shoes. I've got no shoes to wear. I've got 27 pairs of shoes in me. What are we saying? There's nothing there I want to wear. There's nothing there I want to eat. We don't, we don't have to worry about our lives here in the West. We fight, stress, strain, worry about a standard of living. And I don't know, I wonder sometimes whether we've bought into this sense of entitlement because we're Westerners. We should be. And because we're Christians, we should be. What if God asks you to lower your standard of living for a period of time? What's wrong with that? Maybe there's some great lessons we can learn through that. Can we trust God through those moments? Or are we going to stress and worry? Are we going to fight against God to try to create a higher standard of living? so that we can continue to attain and have and grab so that one day moth and rust can destroy. There's nothing wrong with things. You know what I'm saying? It's a value system that Jesus is speaking about. He talks about this man 
And this man's going, make sure that my brother gives me my inheritance because that represents my security, my, my future, my comfort. It represents me having everything. And if I have everything, I won't have to worry. And Jesus says to his disciples, man, don't be like this dude. That is the value system of the world. The value system of the kingdom is different. And he goes on, he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Consider the ravens that God feeds them. Verse 25, and which of you by worrying can add a, one cubit to his stature? Which of you by worrying? Tell me, how many of you have ever worried a situation away? How many of you have ever worried a situation and the, the, the process of worrying has changed it? I have never worried a situation into transformation in my life. Never. I have never, oh, you know what, I thought about it last night, I'm just going to sit up all night and I'm going to uh, worry my phone back into my presence and I'm just going to all night sit there and go, I'm worried, oh, I hope you're being treated well wherever you are right now, I hope that you're being looked after, I worry for you, please come back to me. I oh. And I would go to my letterbox this morning and there would be my phone in my letterbox. Did you check the letterbox before we came? <laughs> Just checking. I meant to. I didn't. You never know. Seagull could have picked it up and dropped it back at home for me. God does weird things when we trust him. When we trust him. But we fight here in the West, don't we? It's about a standard of living. And we've got to be careful that that mentality doesn't creep into us as a church. Our contentment, our peace, our life is found in God. It's found in God. Now the problem with this is that when you have the mentality of more, 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 more and you get more than you need and you just think, well, I'll just build bigger barns and keep and keep and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow so that one day it'll get stolen away basically and given to somebody else, wouldn't it be better if we valued something more than just that. And we went, right, I've got enough for me. I don't need any more. I'm comfortable. I'm, it's all good. God, what are you doing out there? Well, what are you doing? We went and saw the movie Lion. Anyone seen that movie Lion the other day? Fantastic. It's a fantastic film. You should go and see it if you get a chance. About a young boy that was, was separated from his brother at an Indian train station and, and all the trauma that went through India eventually got adopted by a family here in Tasmania and then um, through Google Earth, got on Google Earth and managed to find his way back to this remote little village that he came from and went back there and was reunited with his mother and beautiful, beautiful story. But when you see some of the stuff that's going on there and at the end of the movie they've got some links that you can go on. There are organisations over there working with these kids that are living in the railway stations in, in India in different places and, and, and there are organisations out of support trying to get these kids out of poverty and get them into homes. And, all this. and you look at some of the great things that are happening out there in the world. You look at some of the wonderful things that... that, that, that you know, Jesus talked a lot about the poor feeding the poor, caring for the poor. He talked a lot about that stuff. He talked a lot about... You know, he even said, if you, 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 you clothe the naked person, what are you doing? What are you doing when you put a shirt on a naked person's back? You're putting it on whose back? His. When you feed a child that has no food, you educate a person. When you, when you meet these basic needs and you go, right, I've got enough for me, but where can I get involved in helping some other things, being, being a good influence on the world with the excess that I've got? What can I do? When we do that stuff, Jesus says, if you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. It's almost literally as if you picked up a spoon and put it in a bowl of rice and you fed it to Jesus himself. That's an amazing thought. 
That's an amazing picture. But you see, the, the value system of the world isn't necessarily down that way. It's like, no, no, once you get enough for you, keep going. Keep going. Build bigger barns. Build bigger this. Build bigger that. It's a value system. And Jesus says, there's nothing wrong with the stuff. It's the system behind it. It's the mentality behind it. Don't go that way. Don't allow yourself to think that way. As a church, we've got to think differently. We've got to live by a different set of values. He goes on. He says, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. Verse 30. He says, for all these things the nations of the world seek after. For all these things, the people of the world chase after him. They spend their whole life, their whole life, their whole existence is about from start to finish. Get more, get more, get more, get more. But the thing is, they're never happy. There's never enough. Because we weren't created with a, you know, with a, a giant flat screen shaped hole in your heart. You ever seen those ads from Aldi's? Ever feel like you've got a, a right-on four-stroke mower hole in your heart? Well, at Aldi's, we go. I like Aldi's, by the way. Morgan works for Aldi's, but... But they're advertising. It plays, on, it plays on this hole in your heart. You hear them on the radio, too, you've got a something-sized hole in your heart. Guess what? We've got a God-sized hole in our hearts. That's what we have. The Bible says that when we were created, God put eternity in the hearts of men. And until we connect with eternity, we will never be happy. We will never be satisfied. We will never be different. We will just be like the world, chasing, chasing, chasing. Until we find that place of peace and contentment in a relationship with God. Here's what the Bible has to say about contentment. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, Not that I speak in regards to need, for I have learned. I have learned. I have what? Learned. When we learn something, it's usually a process, correct? It's not just I woke up one day and could do it. I learned. Through things that I went through in my walk with the Lord, through situations I went through, I learned. I learned. In whatever state I am, to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I know how to have very little and I know how to have a lot. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And here's how he does it. I've learned that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through the, the strength that God gives me. I can't do all things through a big bank balance. I can't do all things through a multitude of possessions. But I can handle and do everything and anything through my relationship with God. Through the strength that God gives me when I focus on Him. Through the strength God gives me when I seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 to 10 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. It doesn't sound like, obviously this guy wasn't born in the West in 2017, because it makes no sense. But how stressed out are we as a people? How many relational issues are there because of our accumulation of possessions and our fighting and squabbling to get more things? How destructive is this pursuit of things been to society? How destructive is the worry about all this stuff to you? I saw a, a, a scan the other day of what happens in the human brain. You ever seen pictures of what the human brain goes through when you worry and stress about stuff? I was amazed. They had these colour, like infrared, whatever you call it, diagrams of here's a, normal brain, here's a brain with normal activity, here's the same person under stress and worry. All of a sudden, all the faculties to help you make good decisions are gone. All the faculties that, that, that keep your heart rate down are gone. All the faculties that help you process things at fact are gone. 
things fire off and things die in your brain and your body. Not to mention all the diseases and the junk, the chemicals that get released into our body when we live a life of stress and worry. We were not called to live under the same value system of the world. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Make it clear, money is not evil. Money is not evil. The Bible does not teach that. I hear people say that. Isn't money? Money is not evil. Okay? It's the love of money. The love of money. The endless pursuit to have more, 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 more. That's a problem. That's a problem. The love of money. And he goes on and says, from which some have actually strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. We probably all know people like that. Climb the corporate ladder. Climb, climb, climb. I'm going to stop coming to church. I'm going to stop reading my Bible because I've got no time anymore now. I just want to get, get more, get, get bigger, get richer, get faster. And, you know, Before you know it, God's way over here, not even a part of your life anymore. You've slowly allowed yourself to get sucked into the value system of the world. And that's not what he's called us to. Back to Luke 12, verse 30. It says, for all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you need these things. What a beautiful picture. You know, all the necessities of your life, God actually knows you need them. Now, you either believe that or you don't. There's shades of grey in amongst that as we go down that journey of learning to trust more and more. But they're the two extreme ends of the pendulum. We believe that he does. Over here is we believe that he doesn't. We're all sort of on that, that journey. Trying to trust more and more and more. And our Father is a gracious Father and he knows that. He knows that. He knows that we need to learn. Because for a lot of us, trust doesn't come easy. A lot of us have had our trust betrayed. A lot of us didn't have great father figures. We read that word, Father. Your Father loves you. You can trust your Father. A lot of us go, not sure about that. In verse 31, here's here's the big point. He says, but seek the kingdom of God. In Matthew 6.33, says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Watch this. And all these things shall be added to you. Have a think about your life. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and trusting God to add all the other things to help you along with all that other stuff? Or... Are we seeking first all the other things and then praying to God, God, will you add the kingdom to me? I'm going to pursue all these other things, prioritise all these other things, and I'm just going to pray, God, you would add the kingdom. He says it doesn't work like that. He says that's the value system of the world. We don't live under the same value system as the world. We live under a different value system. We seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added to you. Verse 32, Do not fear, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And verse 33 says a really weird comment. He goes on, he says, Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which you do not grow old and treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the point of what he's trying to say. We have this guy at the beginning 
whose treasure is all in the possessions that he has. Make my brother give me this money or set me up for life. I want that inheritance. Give it to me. And Jesus says to his disciples, don't be like that. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Why does he say, sell what you have and give alms, provide yourself money bags? Some translation says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Why would Jesus tell them to sell and give to the poor? I mean, let's be real. If I was to stand up here each Sunday and pull out all the times that Jesus said, sell all your possessions and give them to the poor, who would be back next week? Who would keep coming back if I said, you know what, sell all your possessions and give them to the poor? Sell, give them to the poor. Sell, give them to the poor. Again, I don't think he's saying there's anything wrong with having. What he's saying is this. When you take of your finance and you put it towards the kingdom of God, your mind and your heart will follow your money. Your mind and your heart will follow your money. When I was a kid, about oh, 14 years old, this amazing thing was brought into our country called footy tab. Anyone ever heard of footy tab? Used to, uh, and they used to have this thing called pick the winners. And you would put some money down. You could, if you could pick all the winners of the NRL rounds, I don't know if they still do it, but if you could pick all the winners, you would get, it was gambling, basically. Anyway, I was, I was lucky enough to have an uncle thought he'd get his, 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 his nephews into gambling. Go figure. So I remember the day, he went and put on a footy tab thing and he, he, he picked the, the seven, eight games, whatever it was, and he came to me and my cousin and he said, I've put this on, um, uh, it was a dollar. He put it on, I didn't pay for it. But he said, I'm going to give you the ticket, it's your ticket, and if it gets up, guess what, you can win some money. I still to this day remember. Now I'm a, a rugby league tragic, I love rugby league. Um, I'm tragic because I support the Tigers. Um, but I am a rugby league fan. Now here's what I remember. Every weekend, without fail, I will make sure that I hear the Tigers game. If I've got to hear it on the radio or whatever, I, I used to always make sure I... The other games I didn't really care too much about. Just wanted to know how the Tigers went every week. But this particular week, all of a sudden, I had to follow every single game on the radio as it was being played or on TV. I was so invested and so interested in the outcome of every single game, minute by minute, step by step, moment by moment. I was listening. I was watching. I was there. I... I, I didn't go out and play this or play that. I just wanted to be around the radio. I wanted to know everything that was going on step by step. Why? Because my treasure was in there. Money was in there. I could have won money out of that. So because the money was in there that I could have got, my treasure was there, my mind was there, my heart was there. I was right into that whole thing for the whole weekend. And that's how it works. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus makes the direct connection here and I think that's why he says sell things and give to the poor because as you start to do that and you start to go, I'm not going to just put this in the barn and the storehouse and keep it to myself and think about my future. I'm going to think about the kingdom of God. I'm going to think about what God's trying to do out there in the earth. I'm going to think about the hungry, the naked, the starving, those that don't have clothes. I'm going to think about them and I'm going to take some of that and instead of storing up for me, I'm going to store up some treasure in heaven. Jesus actually said that when you do that, you store up treasure in heaven. It's almost literally like every time you contribute to the kingdom of God and what God is doing on planet earth, that there's a room up there in heaven, a house, a mansion, I don't know what it is, but it's yours, is what the Bible teaches, and in that, there's stuff being put in that room. More and more, every time you do something down here for the kingdom of God, you're storing up treasure up there. When we get there, how big will that treasure chest be? 
How big will it be? Well, that's all going to be determined by what I do down here, this side of heaven. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's not a parable about having or not having possessions. It's not a parable about being rich or being poor. It's not a parable about having or not having. It's about two sets of values. One over here that says chase possessions, make yourself look really, really good and set yourself up for this life. The other one is seek first the kingdom of God. Commit to that. Let God add the other stuff. See, when you seek the kingdom, you don't have to worry about this because he's promised, oh, I'll take care of that stuff. I'll take care of that. It's almost like this trade-off. Rolf, here's what I'm going to do. My name's Jesus, by the way. Nice to meet you. If you will take care of my kingdom, I'll take care of yours. Do you trust me? You take care of my kingdom. You prioritise my kingdom. And I will take care of yours. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord. God, I want to thank you that, uh, Lord, we are in the world, but not of the world. God, we share the same space, but we're called to a different set of values. Father, I've just been challenging myself this week, God. If I have a look at my bank statements, God, if I have a look at where my treasure is, if I have a look at what I do, God, if I have a look at my life, where is my treasure? If I have a look at the the stuff I, I invest my time, my energy into. God, if I look at the things I worry about and stress about, God, Lord, I'm challenging myself. Am I seeking first the kingdom or is that a distant second? Am I just about building up things here on planet Earth? God, am I about building my own portfolio, my own kingdom down here, knowing that one day moth and rust will destroy it? God, knowing that I only have breath this morning because you gave it to me and I might might not have it next week, next month. Do I want to spend my whole life just storing, storing, storing or God, do I want to join with you and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, Father? I just pray for each of us in this room. Lord, I thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God, this is not a condemning word. This is a challenge to have a look at our lives and to assess the values by which we live, to assess the the things that we do in light of eternity and in light of the kingdom of God and in light of the the blessing of God upon each of our lives. So Father, I just pray that you would, uh, God, just seal in our hearts what it is that you've been saying to each of us today. Father, I pray that you would continue to watch over us, God. Bless us as we go out from this place, as we go back to work, God. Lord, let us uh, this week have opportunity to share you with people that don't know you and to bring your kingdom down here to earth, Father. We thank you for this morning, God. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. I hope to see you back here next week. Actually, no, I won't see you here next week. Uh, we have our last, because those of you that know, we have some kids and uh, kids are important and valuable to God and to us. And so next week is our last weekend away. We have our kids playing a sporting tournament down Port Macquarie. We'll be taking them down. And then that's then we're back and we're running full steam ahead. So this was just a pop in. Hey, go and we'll pop back out again. But uh, next week, be here. It's going to be a great morning. Uh, got somebody else lined up to come on in and share. Next week will be the week before. Just keep in mind again that, that um, uh, uh, fit-out offering will be a couple of weeks away. But so have a great week. 
you know, don't feel like you've got to run off. I think there's still more Vickies and stuff up the back there and tea and coffee to be had. We don't have to get straight out of here, but uh, have a great week and we'll catch up with you later on.